This is Trackside with Kirk Cavan and Kevin Lee. Simon Pagano trying to sweep the month of May and trying to go to eternal glory, winning his first ever Indianapolis 500. But Rossi is right there. He looks to the inside. Pagano is slipping all over, trying to irritate that air. Now Alexander Rossi to the outside. Pagano shuts the door in turn number three. Simon Pagano, two colleagues in front of Alexander Rossi. Through the short shoot, Simon Pagano of the lead, trying to win from the pole. Take him home, Mark James. Pagano got a strong out for turn number four. He's going to pull away from Alexander Rossi. Simon Pagano sweeps the run. Twin checkers out. He'll go to victory lane. Simon Pagano wins the 103rd running of the Indianapolis 500-mile race. They are sticking the way down the straightaway. Elliot to the high side in turn number one. Boyd, Unser, Mears, and maybe Castroneves. Of traffic now as they work their way into turn number four. But it's Elio Castroneves behind Ryan Hunter Ray trying to hold up Balance below. Castroneves looking for number four, Chris. A two car length advantage. Elio Castroneves trying to become a four time winner out of turn four. Off turn four for the final time. Elio Castroneves comes to the start finish line. Twin checkers out and then there were four. Elio Castroneves joins the four time winners club. He wins the 105th running. And the white flag flies on the 106th running of the Indianapolis 500-mile race. Pato Ward to the high side and one. He jumps to the outside. They go wheel to wheel, but Pato has to jump out of the throttle. Marcus Erickson leads to the short shoot. Marcus Erickson with a five-car length advantage, and the caution flag has come out due to an incident in turn number two, Mark. Marcus Erickson flies under the twin checkers, and he has achieved racing immortality. He wins the 106th running of the Indianapolis 500-mile race. Hey there. Welcome to the party. Tonight, we are live downtown for the Brickyard Prelude Party at Prime 47. Indy Steakhouse in downtown Indianapolis. I promise I'll move outside in just a moment. We just wanted to get a sense of what's going on because Clayton Anderson has just started rocking the house. Connor Daly just walked in. Callum Eilat is here. We played uh, some highlights from Indy 500 champs because I think a couple of them are coming in a little bit, maybe three, four. Having fun tonight uh, raising money for the Survivors of Violence Foundation with Chernoff Cosmetic Surgery and Dr. Greg Chernoff will explain that in just a little bit. I got some of my broadcasting friends here. I see uh, James Hinchcliffe is here. Calvin Fish is here this weekend, the noted IMSA broadcaster. And our buddy Lee Diffie is back from his track and field assignment. Uh, Kurt, I'm going to get to you in just a moment. I'm going to walk outside so I can hear you. We we won't be able to hear this part of it. So stand by. Kurt Cavan uh, is on location somewhere else. I'm Kevin Lee downtown, and my man Diff is is chatting with people. I think he's buying raffle tickets, which is fantastic. We've got some really good auction items here going as well. You're live on the radio. Welcome back to Indianapolis. How are you just talking to me? So don't touch anything because we'll hang up on each other. How was track and field? It was good, Kevo. It's good to uh, it's good to be back at IndyCar though. Missing three races felt like somebody had chopped my right arm off. So. Felt very strange. Um, great to be back with you and the whole team. Um, I was just delighted on two fronts. Delighted to see IndyCar back in Toronto, and it went really well. And then Iowa was 
as big or better than we were all anticipating and hoping for. And just a big, huge thank you to High V for what they did for the Speedway and for IndyCar in general. And an incredible weekend. Track and field was a blast. Most successful ever uh, World Championships for Team USA. They won, you know, more than three times the medals of the next nearest nation. So lots of positivity, lots of fun, but I feel like I've come back home now. <laughs> I, I wouldn't want to give up an IndyCar weekend to do it, but I will admit I, I was jealous because I love speed events like you do and would love to call that. But then I always think about it in a different way and I start thinking, man, that looks hard for the prep and research. How many athletes do you have to be prepared for in a two-week run like that? That is a great question. I don't know the exact number, but lots, because we call all the heats and all the semis, and then, of course, all of the, the medal runs. Um, so it's lots. It's 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 a, a serious number of athletes. Fortunately, I don't have to call the field. That, that would add to it. We have um, Paul Swangard and two-time world champion and Olympic medalist Trey Hardy who do that. So it's a lot of work for us just on the on the track side of things. Um, but it was so worth it. You talk about getting excited about speed. It's, it, it is exhilarating when you call a Team USA gold medal and then it gets even heightened when you call a record, whether that be a championship record, an American record, or we were fortunate enough to call world records. And it's just it's, it's a surreal experience. So let's get back to IndyCar, and I should mention off we got the news a little more than an hour ago. Good news that Joseph Newgarden has been cleared. He will participate in the first practice session tomorrow. And then out of an abundance of caution, they'll have him visit again with medical to clear him for the rest of the weekend. Fantastic, because we just didn't know what was going to happen. Well, I'm thrilled on a number of fronts because, yes, you know, we all acknowledge from, from, from the first step we take in the sport. Yes, we acknowledge that motor racing is dangerous. But Joseph is such an unbelievable athlete, such an incredible driver, such a great person and, and such an amazing ambassador for this sport that I would hate him to have a championship run taken away from him by a bizarre accident like that and not the track accident what happened back in the motorhome lot uh falling and knocking his head and uh so I, I i would hate for him to get robbed of an opportunity like that so i'm so thankful that he's that he's that he's in for the weekend look who just walked in it's Romain Grosjean and Olivier Balsan, and they're looking at these two chuckleheads talking on the phone, wonder what they're doing. So this is actually how we do a live live radio show as as well here. Well, it's still loud there. I don't know if I can walk over there. I'm gonna just gonna gonna let them be, and I'm gonna walk outside and, and chat with Kurt here a, a little bit as well. So Kurt, I think the other thing I want to mention here is news of the day, and I mentioned he's there, but he's you know he's center stage right in front of the band. Callum Eilat has a deal and that we can cross someone off the silly season list. Uh, he is going to be with Hukos Hollinger Racing, it looks like, for multiple years moving on. So he said today that, uh, you know, I'm a man of my word. He said, we, we agreed to this. Uh, I was committed to, to what uh, Hunko's Hollinger Racing is doing. They need to add more people if they're going to have a second car. But I like the direction. And I signed a contract. And I'm going to stick to it. And, you know, he admitted that some people have been calling him in the recent weeks amid this flurry of silly season 2023 and beyond, as we know it. Uh, and so he said, but again, I'm a man of my word. I signed a contract and, and we'll grow this thing together. And he said, I like being a little powerhouse. And they have certainly taken big strides this year. 
you know, it's it just they need a second car. They need. He said, look, I got to have a teammate that can help me on the ovals. He said, I'm not very comfortable on the big tracks. And he attributed his crash in Indianapolis in May to the lack of of basically experience and he said i think that would have been avoided had i had a teammate you know i kept thinking about ryan hunter ray had he was around to help callum but he wasn't in a car to feel what callum was feeling and to experience the things the team was putting on the car so i i think about hunter ray had he been there in a car how much better their month of May would have been. But Callum's been great on the street circuits and the road courses. Yes, he's made a couple of mistakes. He admitted that. But considering he's never seen most of these tracks before, I'd say it's been a pretty good season. And he's he's gotten phone calls and attention from other teams. Yep. And good on Hunkos Hollinger for, for locking him up and, and keeping him happy. And, and we'll move on with the 77 car in 2023. Hey, I walked outside and I ran into a, another driver and, and I haven't talked to him in three or four years. So I'm going to have to reintroduce myself to him where he takes a picture of the race car that he's going to be driving here next week. Sheldon Creed is here, uh, a NASCAR Xfinity driver, uh, truck series champion, and he's going to be driving my friend's midget, Brent Cox, who is the co-host of our event tonight from Cox Beckman Goss and company he's going to be driving in the bc 39 coming up uh wednesday and thursday next week and he's taking pictures of his his race car at the moment and i think the seat fit is here right here on uh what are we on pennsylvania right outside Pre kevin lee i met you several years ago when you were doing arca good to see you oh, yeah. yeah i'm helping brent with the event so you're gonna drive a midget for the first time yeah i've actually really been wanting to run a midget for i don't know i've been talking about it for a few years now um been talking about doing chili bowl and and always wanted to do it and i uh, almost had a deal last year to do it but if i wanted to do chili bowl i wanted to race before and i wanted to race a few times before going and just uh going and trying to figure it out in there that wouldn't that wouldn't be great for me so um yeah this is the first of hopefully um quite a few races this year for me if i can fit them in i'd like to do four or five before chili bowl and uh, yeah, I get myself a, a fighting chance there, you know. So there's another guy inside that can kind of tell you about jumping in with no experience, Connor Daly, who did that, and it was uh, tough sledding. Now, you have spent more time on dirt. You've driven and done well in just about everything. What's realistic for you next week here? Um, gosh, I don't even know. Uh, I feel like... Maybe just have fun? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, that's, a, that's a good start yeah. of... Uh, I've been running micros back home a little bit. Uh, kind of just do that on my own, and um, had a little bit of success in that. Can can run pretty good. So uh, yeah, first just have fun, but would love to make the show both nights. And uh, yeah, I would love to run top ten. But then again, you know, I don't know. These these guys do it every week, and, and they're obviously really talented. So um, if I can just go and be fast, be competitive, and have good racecraft, I'll be happy with that. Uh, and make the show, and, and we'll go from there. I should have looked this up ahead. Sheldon Creed is joining us. I know you had done Xfinity races before this year. Did Did you run at the Brickyard last year? I did, and I only had a, a handful of so Xfinity. This is your races. first time. That's I yeah. thought it was, but I wasn't certain because I know you had done Xfinity races. So it's not the Oval, but it's the Brickyard. What's the anticipation like for this weekend? Uh, I mean, first off, love road course racing. So uh, really excited to get back to another road course. This one's new for me, so. I uh, did a lot of homework this week and, and the weeks leading up. Um, 
just to try to prepare myself. I feel like we've been strong on road courses and it's a place that we can win. So, um, yeah, that's the goal this week is just to be as strong as possible and uh, hopefully grab our first win of the year. You didn't think people did radio shows just holding a phone, but this is modern technology. I bombarded you. Thanks for being a good player there. Thank you. Enjoy. Enjoy next week. Thank you. Sheldon Creed, Kurt, look who you find just kind of hanging out on the street. I'll stand here and see. There's Christian Rasmussen, Indy Lights driver for Andretti Autosport. All right, back yeah. to our originally scheduled program. Yeah, go ahead, but it's it's fun <laughs> to listen to these guys. Sheldon is really, really talented. So I had met him, well, it's probably been three, four, five years since I talked to him when he was running in ARCA and, and talked to him a few times there. And he's super talented. You know, he came from, what, like off-world truck racing and just uh, does well. In, in everything that that he gets in so and now i've got someone asking me for money so it's real tight to ask and he's gonna cost me so i think i'm gonna have to go back inside the building now or we'll have the show interrupted uh other news of the day i know you and nate are going to talk about it nate ryan by the way of nbc sports is going to be on the show in, in just a few minutes um what else did we learn today well we'll get to the alex below stuff that's coming up in just a few minutes I'll just touch on this um, a little bit because I know you recorded with Nate a little while ago and you covered really about everything. But the statement about it being uh, from from Alex's side saying something along the lines of they're denying him from a Formula One opportunity. Uh, so, one, I'm, I'm not sure that's Chip Ganassi's um, responsibility <laughs> to worry about whether his dream is Formula One or not, it just depends on the letter of the law. And then secondly, you know, a few people had told us Formula One might be what they think is their clause, and it certainly appears like that's the angle that the Pelot side is trying to take, that this is a Formula One contract, no matter what he, what else he drives, but that's the path and the argument they're trying to use. So I think that's what became apparent today from my standpoint. Nate and I didn't talk about this aspect too much, but there was, there, you know, we didn't really know if it was about the money, if you, if it was about the chance to be in this three-car Aero McLaren SP program in 2023 in IndyCar, or whether there was just some hope that you would get to test an F1 car. But it's pretty clear based on, on that statement that was released today that that the F1 angle is going to be their their best argument. Well, maybe not. It doesn't. It isn't clear, but it appears that that is one of the the avenues they're going to pursue. And I think just like Chip Ganassi took the first step, first in executing the option or picking up the option for next year, was the first step, and then the second step from Ganassi's standpoint was to say we want him back, and then to take it to court. And and this is this is Alex's next step to say. Look, you know, it's like they're revealing their their case in public uh, for what they will argue before an attorney or a mediator. And and I don't know whether that loophole exists, that if he got the chance to run F1, that that would let him out of his IndyCar deal. But that certainly is the first kind of smoke that goes up that that would seem to uh, have a fire resonating underneath it. So I think that's a, a legitimate angle here. I don't know what the contract says. It's sealed, but that certainly is an indication of where this is going. So standing out on the curb, you never know who you're going to run into. Hi, sir. Your name. What do you do? 
Uh, I drive I drive the the number eight car in IndyCar, and uh, it's going quite well this year. Yeah. Have you had any success in the number eight car? Yeah, it's been a decent year. You know, we decent won year? we won one of those. You know, what they call big races. Okay. Uh, so. Really? What what race? <laughs> yeah. So this is Marcus Erickson, the Indy 500 winner, the current championship leader joining us here at Prime 47 downtown. Thanks for coming down. I know it's been a busy day. Yeah, it's, it's been full on. You know, I did the track walk uh, and, and that was hot and, and sticky, but uh, did that and then went up to Carmel. And Ooh. then I remember that I have this uh, nice event that I wanted to attend. So yeah, uh, it's nice to be here. It's always good to sort of uh, help the IndyCar community, right? And uh, this is part of it. So if you walked out here on the street right now, you would see two former Formula One drivers standing around a midget. Romain Grosjean just came out to take a look at it as well, and his engineer Olivier Bosson. Would you like to drive one of these? I would like to, but I, I don't think it would be very successful. They look completely crazy <laughs> and, and so like different. And I was at the, last year, I was at, that, at the midget races out on the speedway, right? Yep. That's what yeah, they're, they're doing yeah. it next week again. Ah, the next week, yeah. So that was really cool. It was such a fun night. So I, I want to go again for sure. Yeah. So on the track walk, I know one thing that's a little bit different is I think it's the exit of six. What did you see? There's going to be track limits that have to be enforced now. Yeah, exactly. That was the thing we, we noticed, you know, that there's no curb there. It's just painted curb. So I think it's not going to make a ton of difference because we're still you know, in, in the car. We're still fat, you know, full throttle through there, yeah. through that fast chicane. So I don't think... I don't think it's going to make a ton of difference. Maybe in the race, you know, it means you can be a bit more aggressive on, on the other guys. But um, yeah, I'm hoping it's not going to be a big difference with track limits and all that. We don't need that uh, conversation uh, during the races. All right, going inside. Thanks yeah, for stopping. Right yeah, maybe, maybe get in the midget car. All right, there you go. Let's see if I see another Indy 500 winner in this segment. I, if I could have jumped in, I would have said, does he have his Indy 500 ring on? Because he had it on this afternoon, and it looked spectacular. Let me see. I did not notice it, so I don't think he did. No. He has no ring on at the moment. Well, that that uh, Indy 500 ring was, was uh, clear to everyone, and he kind of held it up like a, a newly engaged uh, young lady. <laughs> Uh, it was uh, he, he was showing it off today and he said he's he's only worn it a few times. He wore it when he went back to Sweden to meet with his buddies. Uh, he's worn it uh, to a few events, but not often. So it was good to see that today. And uh, he's sure proud of it. And he should be. So we got one news item out of the way today, uh, and that's one to cross off. Uh, I had a chat with Renus VK for a little while today. And while there's nothing definitive, you know, we were just chatting about the weekend i'll be in his pit and just getting some intel and they said hey, hey wait a minute i think uh there's a certain date on the calendar that's significant in a few days august 1st he said yeah uh so I, I just wanted to clarify some things so he has he's been able to listen so he doesn't have to say no i've had no conversations with anyone he's just not allowed to negotiate with anyone before august 1st and obviously not sign but you know someone can call him and say hey on August 1st, I want to make you an offer. So he knows what might be possible out there. And here, here's what I would say from that conversation. You and I have talked, and you know I've kind of said, I think he might be in the best position, all things considered, where he's at right now. And you know, at the 10 car, if, if Ganassi offers him that seat, yeah, that's a different story. You know, <laughs> that's one that you, you need to take, uh, all things considered. But I don't think they're going to be firmly able to offer that to anyone 
for quite some time with the way this is going. So that's not going to happen. And from, you know, he, he mentioned it's important about my long-term future. Um, so to me, that means he wants some stability. He wants uh, to feel like if I have one bad year, I'm not out on my ear. You know, we talked about family with the Ed Carpenter racing team. Through all this conversation, I think it's much more likely that he's going to be quite content and decide this is the place he wants to be. He mentioned how important it was that that having good Indy 500 cars is really going to lead a lot of his decision. And obviously, you know, there, I think right now you're talking Carpenter and Ganassi. So I think that's probably where he's going to end up. And I'd say that's good. Well, I think your point about the 10 car and it not being able to be definitively you know, decided is, is a big thing that, uh, you know, Chip Ganassi's got to figure out what's going on with Alex below first, unless he's already decided that, you know, a certain amount of money will buy him out and then we can move on to somebody else, which is entirely possible, by the way, that Chip's already decided, I'm going to let, I'm going to let uh, Polo struggle a little bit. I'm going to name a price that I know that uh, he's going to accept and I'll move on. But I don't think that's the case. I think it's more likely that the Ganassi 10 car will be a few weeks down the road and that Ganassi's not going to want to offer Arenas VK on August 1st. So I've thought all along that Ed Carpenter's team was the best option for him. And I think from a timing standpoint, and from just, you know, what else is available, I think that's his best option, and he should take it. I think so, too. Um, it, you know, it, even if the Andretti, if an Andretti seat comes open, that's not necessarily any better. You kind of look at where they are averaging the championship, and they're not in any better situation most of the way around right now. You know the Indy 500 cars are going to be, be strong. I think they're growing. He has a great relationship with his engineer uh, and, and the family aspect. You know, I think that Ed Carpenter probably has a longer leash than maybe some others would because he understands how it goes as a driver. Uh, so I think that's his best case. I think that's his best. And I'm, you know, I'm more conservative. So if that's the offer that's on the table right now, I ask him if Ed's given him any deadline. He said no, but he's obviously going to want to know sooner rather than later. Um, and then so I, I just don't know what the options are going to be if indeed the 10 is open next year. And it's probably going to be on the look of, you know, I, I think you can't rule out some people that we're not really talking about that are an F2. Calvin, thank you. Good to see you. The diff is here as well. We'll see them at the track tomorrow. Um, but I think there are going to be some names that we're not really thinking about as far as F2 drivers. You know, one name we were chatting today that I meant to bring up a few weeks ago that I heard had some interest in coming back to IndyCar, not necessarily with 10. He's already kind of been there, done that. But I'm, I'm hearing Ed Jones is contemplating a comeback and probably can find the budget to make that happen. So I wouldn't cross him off the list of someone who we might see in IndyCar again next year. Yeah, I, I, I like that, uh, that thought process with Ed Jones. Uh, you know, we, you know, the 29 car would, would seem like it might be available, but I don't know that it's available on August 1st to be in the conversation for VK at uh, Andretti. And, um, you know, the other thing is, as you mentioned, I'm not sure that that's the fourth car there is a necessarily a better ride. Uh, it's It hasn't proven to yep. be consistently, yep. and, and so I'd stay. I like the stability at Ed, Ed Carpenter's team, too. And they're tailoring the program 
towards him rather than, you know, kind of sharing and who's the leader and everything else. You, you know, when, you, when you're this program, um, not that they're favoring him over anyone else, but you know you're getting you're getting a chance to lead the development if you choose to do so. So uh, that's where that stands at this point. And then it will continue to get silly as we move forward because I don't know what to make of everything going on in this lawsuit, and you and Nate are going to break it down coming up in just a few minutes. Uh, anything else I've missed since I've been off Twitter for the last couple of hours? No, I think uh, I think you got most of it. Uh, I, I feel a little a little bit more like uh, Rosenquist could end up in, in that seat at, that he has at Errol McLaren. You know, he, he, he talked today about being on a kind of an experimental uh, situation when he's going into a race weekend. He and his engineer talking about, let's take a chance here because we know where we were at with the car last year at this particular racetrack, not Indy in particular, but, you know, the proverbial, which track are we at right now? We know how we ran there last year. It wasn't good enough. It wasn't good enough to win the race. That's what we came here for. Let's try something different. And he said that the Pato Award has done things a little bit more traditional when it comes to setup uh, as a championship, real championship contender. That makes a lot of sense. But it was interesting to hear uh, Felix say that, you know, going experimental not only was something that was good for the team, it was initiated by he and his engineer. It wasn't, you know, the, the team coming to him and saying, look we need to try you need, we need you to go down a different path and be the guinea pig he said no it's me and my engineer we we wanted to try something different because we want to win races and he said at probably 50 percent of the tracks that's been the right decision to make and we've been bit by some bad luck but he said i'm, I'm better for the experience and uh he said i'm really happy and you know you and i both have great um interest in Felix doing well we both we both really like Felix everyone does I mean Felix is one of the nicest men in the paddock and and to to hear him say how happy he's been this year you know it, he, he had a tough time at Ganassi he's he's kind of uh, that was you know a couple years back and and this has been a good year for Felix and I'm happy for him Yep, definitely. All right, good storylines this weekend. By the way, don't forget, we have a show tomorrow night. We'll, we'll be for a recap qualifying. So practice tomorrow morning at 9.30. It's a 90-minute practice, and that's the only full practice. What time is qualifying? 1 o'clock. 1 o'clock-ish? 1 o'clock. Okay, regular uh, knockout qualifying, I think. Is, is it regular qualifying format with the Firestone Fast 6? It is. It is. Okay. Good. Yes. yes. I, should, I should probably know these, and I will know this by the time we go on the air tomorrow. And then Xfinity practices and qualifies late afternoon tomorrow. Uh, and then uh, Saturday, there's a warm-up very early. And then the race just afternoon on NBC and here on the radio. And then the Xfinity race follows. Cup on Sunday. Hey, Dale Jr. is going to join us on the IndyCar side of things, so a little cross-promotion. And Hinch is going to be on the Xfinity broadcast after we're done as well. So we're each sharing an analyst on that front. So it should be good fun. And here tonight, if you happen to be downtown, uh, you can walk in. They'll probably even give you a discount ticket coming in at this point but walk-ups were available we're at prime 47 indie steakhouse uh raising money for dr greg chernoff's survivors of violence foundation mainly domestic violence victims so he can help uh, fix them up so they don't see the memories in the mirror anymore so this is a, a really wonderful uh event and we've got a lot of cool auction items clayton anderson is playing right now and we're going to be here until nine o'clock tonight we've got plenty of more show coming on 
Kurt is going to talk with Nate Ryan. I'll be back at the end of the hour to chat a little bit more. So stay with us. Trackside, 93.5, 107.5, The Fan. This is Alex Palou, and you're listening to Trackside. Welcome back to Trackside. We are Trackside for this plausibly live segment. Kevin's uh, off hosting all his big-time guests, and so we're going to do this from afar. Nate Ryan joins me from NBC Sports, and today was an opportunity to talk to a lot of the drivers, and one of those, which was really interesting, I guess, is is Alex Pelot, who, I'll tell you what, I give him credit, he was... Uh, he made himself available. He talked for probably, I don't know, 25, 30 minutes, maybe. And one of the reasons to talk to Nate, in, in addition to his, his uh, vast experience here with, with both IndyCar and NASCAR, uh, he had a, a chance to talk to Nate pretty, or uh, to Alex pretty significantly. So you also had a camera, which, which yeah. locked in, uh, you know, the subject matter, kept him, kept him focused on the camera. Sometimes, you know, behind the scenes here, when you're a reporter, you just got a tape recorder. It's, uh, it's kind of easier. I mean, they still, they're still on the record, but a television camera really forces them to, to look in, look in the camera and, and be truthful and, and kind of tell their side of the story. What did you make, if anything, from what Alex had to say today? Well, Kurt, uh, I mean, first of all, I'll say I, I share all of your impressions. Like, I can't believe he talked again. I can't believe they made him available. And I'll give him credit for making himself available. But I think Ganassi wants him to be made available because they want to see what he's saying. Um, it's not lost on me that at Toronto, I was not at that race, but there was a Ganassi PR rep who taped every interview that Alex did very fastidiously. And it was the same thing today. And, you know, is there a discovery process <laughs> that's taking place here in addition to the, the PR uh, duties that are going on? And trying to figure out, you know, how to keep this all, uh, it, you know, in a tenable situation. I think so. I think there's, I mean, this is just so unprecedented. And that was one thing that I sort of gleaned from the Plo interview today. Like toward the end, I was asking him about, you've seen other drivers go through situations similar to these, uh, you know, lame duck drivers, guys like Alexander Rossi, who's got a few races left with Andretti, but is going to another team. That's ha That happens all the time in auto racing. And I asked Alex, like, do you take anything from those situations and apply it here? And, and what was your opinion when you watch drivers go through that? And he looked at me and he said, well, no one's ever gone through this and it's something that we've been talking about on the NBC Sports broadcast team this week. I, when has there ever been a situation where a, a team has sued its existing driver who it intends to keep for the following season? It really is truly unprecedented in auto racing. I mean, we've had situations, you know, there was Forsyth and Paul Tracy many years ago where there was a lawsuit that I think kept him out of the car, but it wasn't like this. It wasn't like the driver is in the car. Oh, and by the way, he's also being sued. He's being served with legal documents that are a legal action is proceeding as has been made against him by the people who are employing him. And Alex just said, I wish I wasn't in that situation for that reason, because I think I would look at somebody who has been through it and try to figure out how they dealt with it and apply it to what I'm doing. But um, yeah, that was my biggest takeaway. But you know, I'm sure there's many other things we could talk about as well. Yeah, I think you raised a good point at the start of that about Ganassi wanting him to talk maybe almost to see if he slips up 
yeah. you know, all of those things become these these conversations become public record, very much like the tweets that they clearly included in the in the court documents. We haven't seen you know all the court documents, but it, we we do know that they would have taken anything he has said publicly and and have a chance to use it against him. You know, interestingly, one of the things that that uh, that I gleaned from this today, and maybe it's because of the duration of the time he spent in front of a camera and in front of microphones, but he sounded very Elio-like in 20, 2009 when Elio was was facing his tax uh, situation, and Elio's famous quote, which we heard over and over and over, is, I'm, I'm a driver. I don't know anything about the law. And, and Alex kept reiterating, I'm just a driver. I'm not a lawyer. I can't answer that question. I don't know how to answer that question. Do you think... And this probably is true to much extent, but is that is that his answer? Is that probably the only thing he can say? I think so, Kurt. And, uh, you know, it was nice that I didn't hear no comment once during his interview with NBC. And I stood outside the scrum for about 10 minutes. I didn't hear it there either. And I think he was coached fairly well. I think he was better today than he was at Toronto. I think that that was the message. Like, I'm a driver. I'm not a lawyer. There's only so much I can say. I mean, he said all the right things about this hasn't detracted from my focus. Um, I still believe I can win the championship. You know, he was asked, can you still win the championship? And he immediately shifted, well, Iowa was pretty tough. It's going to be tough to come back from like a sixth and a 13th. And Jenna Fryer, I think, was the person who asked it. And she was like, no, I mean, do you think you can win a championship while you're being sued by the team that is fielding your car? And then it, it shifted back into his, well, you know, I'm not really going to say anything more than I, I've said. I, you know, I'm, I'm totally focused. I'm here to win. Um, but you know, I, I, we, we did ask him or try to get him on the record about some specifics. His lawyer came out with this statement today that said they were very disappointed with what Ganassi did, and they said that we feel as this, as as if this is Ganassi keeping Alex from racing in Formula One. So I asked him, is that the root of this? Is the root of this that Ganassi doesn't want you to go to Formula One? And he didn't really shed any light on that. He pretty much just said, you know, I, I have to refer to what my lawyers say on that. Uh, you know, and then there were just some other things about he hasn't talked to Ganassi since before Toronto. He didn't talk to him after the lawsuit. He didn't. He hadn't talked to Michael or anybody at the team. He has talked to his team, but not about anything involving the lawsuit. So. Um, yeah, but like you said, he he took every question and he never wavered. He never lost patience. He never got angry. He was just very much the normal Alex below. Yeah, he really did well in that respect. This morning, Sebastian Vettel announces uh, his retirement at the end of the season. Um, there's going to be now because that seat needs to be filled and and some movement in in the panic can. Do you see any connection here? Ricardo, is he even in play? I mean, I know you don't follow Formula One on a regular basis, but we're all in this kind of big sport together. Is it? I mean, I, I think when the lawyers talked about Formula One relative to Alex Pillow, it was kind of the first time we had heard that's the path. Yeah. We all kind of assumed when the initial press release came out from McLaren Racing that this was an IndyCar deal and they just couldn't say Aero McLaren SP because, you know, clearly it was an IndyCar contract that he had with Ganassi. And so I think that's why we skipped uh, away from Formula One in that initial press release. Do you think F1 is a real possibility? Is he must have the lawyer must have brought it up for a reason? I think it is still a real possibility, Kurt. And you know, to your point, uh, 
Alex was asked, because Chip Ganassi has indicated, or the team has indicated, I think Chip has indicated to Jenna, that they still believe that Alex Pillow will be racing for Chip Ganassi Racing in 2023. That is still what Ganassi maintains. So I and others in the scrum, but myself in the NBC interview, asked Alex, do you believe that to be the case? Can there be a scenario here that results in you still racing at Ganassi in 2023? And his answer is no. His answer is what he said in Toronto, which is that I believe I will be racing with McLaren Racing in 2023. I did find it interesting that in the scrum, somebody asked him, so something along the lines of, so you'll be racing IndyCar for McLaren next year. And Polo stopped them and clarified them and said, no, I will be with McLaren Racing in 2023. So there's a lot, again, we're just trying to read tea leaves here because there's only so much that's being said to us. You've got a lawsuit in which seven pieces of evidence were presented and four of them were sealed <laughs> that might contain all sorts of important details that we're not privy to. But there's a lot of smoke here that would indicate that Formula One is very much on the radar. NASCAR is also on the radar. Nate, Nate Ryan joins us. Uh, what kind of energy do you sense for this race weekend and, and maybe some of the excitement that, that you've witnessed being part of, of kind of the NASCAR process on less so than maybe you've been in the past, but you're still in the world uh, on a pretty regular basis. What kind of excitement do you do you see from the stock car world to come race on the road course again? I think that they're looking forward to it, Curtin, especially now that they've enhanced turn six that it's no longer uh, fabricated steel in turn six, but that that curbing that unfortunately pretty much imploded during last year's race after all the the stress from Xfinity cars and cup cars pounding on that thing for two days, uh, they've replaced that turn six curbing with the permanent concrete that you find in turns eight, nine, and 10 here. Uh, I think there's a lot more optimism uh, that'll produce uh, a race that's not nearly as long as last year with all of uh, you know, the, the red flags and the cautions, but hopefully it will be just as dramatic. Uh, I, I think I am curious to see, there's still the same enthusiasm for coming to Indy that you hear on uh, the, the Cup Series that's similar to what you hear from IndyCar. Like, you know, we had Alexander Rossi on our NASCAR America Motor Mouth show on Peacock last night, and he was saying, you know, every time we go to Indy, even though we run the road course multiple times the last few seasons, it's still Indy. It's still, the Brickyard is still something we get up to, get up for, especially that it's in the backyard of all the IndyCar drivers. I think NASCAR drivers feel the same way about this place. It's still hallowed ground, but... I am curious to hear what they say this weekend about the Oval, because I think that there's a general sentiment within NASCAR that eventually they will be back on the Oval, maybe not every year, but they will get back there with the Cup Series. A little juiciness. We talked about Alex Pillow. There's juiciness uh, on the NASCAR side as well uh, with uh, Denny Hamlin and, and Kyle Busch being uh, disqualified or at least taking the, the first and second place away last week. Will that continue to be a little story this week? Is that one of the things? The other one, uh, Hamlin and Ross Chastain have had a little dust up from time to time. This would be a great place for additional dust up. Which storyline uh, or what other storyline would you be looking at? I wish, Kurt, that we were talking about Chastain versus Hamlin because that was clearly going to be the dominant storyline coming out of Pocono until two hours later when NASCAR spoiled the party and said, sorry, uh, Denny Hamlin and Kyle Busch are being disqualified. We're taking a win away from a race driver in the Cup Series for the first time since 1960. So th this is unprecedented in the modern era to have a winner disqualified on the day of the race and being completely stripped of the win. 
Uh, it hasn't happened in 62 years. So that is definitely the story coming into Indy. And it, it became more of a story Tuesday when NASCAR announced that it was also penalizing a car that it took back to its R&D center. Uh, they found similar illegal modifications made to that car that resulted in a 100-point penalty, a $100,000 fine, and a four-race crew chief suspension. So I don't know, Kurt, how NASCAR always gets in these situations where it seems like sometimes we're talking about penalties as much as the racing, but it hadn't been the case in recent years, and it hadn't been the case this season. I think there was a lot of fear that there might be this discussion because the next-gen car is such a game-changer, and teams are trying to figure out how to push the envelope with it, and it's very much styled and modeled after what you see in IndyCar. This is NASCAR's version of a spec vehicle. It's the first time teams really don't have autonomy over building the car, assembling the pieces, building, you know, optimizing the parts. They can't do that with this car. So I think we knew that we'd eventually get to this place where teams were trying to challenge NASCAR on how much could they change the parts and pieces that make their cars go fast. I just don't think anybody wanted to get to a situation where we were disqualifying a winner for the first time in 62 years, but that's the narrative coming in. You know, this Brickyard 400 event began with a, a young kid um, kind of breaking into this onto the scene. Yes, Jeff Gordon had won the Coke 600, but you know this was a big deal to win Brick, the Brickyard. We won't see that kind of situation this year. The the event's not as prestigious as the first time at Indy, but we do have a young kid in this Cup race, be st- starting only his second Cup race, who I think because he's running for in place of Kurt Busch, and because he's been so good on the road courses. Uh, this season, Ty Gibbs could could really 19-year-old Ty Gibbs. Ty Gibbs could have one of those kind of breakout moments. Tell me, you know, a lot of our listeners are are catching up with NASCAR for maybe one of the few times this season. Why Ty Gibbs is such a big story? Well, he's in his first full season as an Xfinity Series driver, Kurt. But last year, I think he won four times as a part-time series driver. He's the grandson of. Joe Gibbs, the you know, three-time Super Bowl-winning NFL coach. Uh, so he was already he already had the big surname coming into NASCAR, and of course, there's always all these whispers of is it nepotism that he's getting this ride. Well, he proved all of that wrong last year, I and mean, he is clearly an elite talent. And the question is not when is he going to drive in the Cup Series, uh, or, or if he's going to drive in the Cup Series, it's when will he drive in the Cup Series. And what the the extra layer to this that really makes this an enticing story right now is Joe Gibbs racing has four cup cars. They have three drivers under contract for next year. Martin Trex Jr., Denny Hamlin, Christopher Bell. Kyle Busch, the two-time series champion, is not under contract for Joe Gibbs Racing yet for next year. And it's a very much a surprise. Coach Joe Gibbs has said, said that. They expected to have this deal done months ago. Kyle Busch has been grumbling that it's not done. He's admitted he's talking to other teams. The longer this goes, it feels like the less likely he is to return to Joe Gibbs Racing, as unfathomable as that might be. This is his 15th season with the team. Um, But if he doesn't return, it makes sense in a way for Gibbs because they've got plan A replacement right there in Ty Gibbs. I mean, in some ways, um, it it couldn't be a more seamless fit um, in terms of replacing a two-time champion. Joe Gibbs Racing and Toyota don't want to lose Kyle Busch, but Ty Gibbs' emergence as a teenage phenom who's shown he can win the Xfinity Series, who showed he could finish top 20 in his cup debut last week at Pocono. And, you know, this weekend he's going to be running both series full-time for the first time last year. Or last weekend he got thrust into Kurt Busch's car right before the race at Pocono. Um, this weekend I think he's going to have a, a chance to get even more acclimated. And, you know, if we see a top 15 or a top 10 out of Ty Gibbs, then I think the rumbles really, really grow about does Gibbs put this guy in a cup car next year. 
a lot of uh, Indiana and local connections. Um, Austin Sindrick obviously won the Xfinity Cup race last year. AJ Allmendinger being a being a former IndyCar driver. Chase Briscoe's obviously got a lot of talent and and will compete for a win here. But does it just come down to Chase Elliott? He's won seven road course races already in his 17, 16 and a half. We'll call it 16 and a half wins because I gave him Pocono on uh, last weekend. But is it is it a Chase Elliott weekend? I don't. I I guess you could look at the standings, Kurt, and look at the fact that he has been a road course prodigy for the bulk of his career, and say yes. I mean, he comes in here with five consecutive top two finishes. Three of those are wins. Of course, one was last weekend at Pocono, where really he finished third in terms of crossing the finish line, but got the win after the the two disqualifications of the drivers ahead of him. Um, so you look at all that, and I think you do say Chase Elliott's the favorite coming in. But his road course prowess hasn't been quite as strong this year with the next gen car. Um, there was something that Hendrick had with their front ends and with their braking, where if you look at their performance last year on road courses, it wasn't just Chase Elliott. It was Kyle Larson dominating Sonoma and, you know, giving Chase Elliott all he, he could handle at Circuit of the Americas. Um, they had the premier road course package and two very, very good drivers on road courses, especially Chase Elliott. Uh, you know, he got his first win on a road course. He's just he's exquisite at getting getting around right and left hand corners but um we've seen the emergence of some other teams and drivers this year on road courses so well i, I would say chase elliott's definitely definitely the favorite i wouldn't say he is the, the prohibitive favorite the way he might have been in previous years bringing it back to indycar as we we, we uh, wrap up will power could go not only for the pole record this weekend uh he also could move uh another step toward the you know the overall uh win total he would take uh, another step in that that regard as well. This has been Will Power's track. Anything else you're uh, anyone else you're looking for in Victory Lane? I mean, I think it starts and ends w- with him, right? I mean, especially the way this this championship race has unfolded. I mean, and Will Power's been saying it all season long that it feels like he's running. In Newgarden said it last week about Power that he definitely is approaching this season differently. I mean, Will Power's won a championship before, but he's talked a lot in the last couple of years about how, you know, being mindful of the points wasn't always his thing, but it clearly has been this year. He's probably been his smartest season, I think, in the IndyCar series as a driver. Um, but at some point, you got to go for wins. And we were just we were talking to Pato Ward earlier today, and coming off that win at Iowa, he said, you know, we're full send. You know, we're, we're going to go for wins from here on out. So I, it'll be interesting to see how Power approaches this weekend, knowing that he's been a little bit more championship-focused in recent years. But, I mean, who is better at this course? He's the defending winner of this race. Um, I'd have my eye on him first. Nate, good to see you. It's uh, good to always have you back. And your your uh, following of both IndyCar and NASCAR is appreciated. We we certainly enjoy it, and uh, you've done a nice job with the TV. Keep keep that camera pressed on the drivers, make them answer tough questions, and uh, we'll see what they say. Well, I appreciate you having me, Kurt, and I always appreciate you and Kevin's coverage of not just IndyCar but racing in general, NASCAR included. So um, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Well, we'll see what we miss. Kevin will be back in just a moment to wrap things up and uh, again see what we miss. We'll be back here on Trackside. Hi, this is Joseph Newgarden, and you're listening to Trackside. 
Thanks for staying with us. Trackside continues, and we are live on location. Thanks to Kurt and Nate Ryan for uh, getting us up to speed on the latest happenings of Alex Pillow. That's quite interesting. News of the day, if you just joined us, fantastic news that Joseph Newgarden has been cleared. He'll participate in the first practice session tomorrow, then be reevaluated for further participation. But that's very, very positive news. I'm Kevin Lee, and tonight, uh, if you join us at the top of the show, we're at Prime 47 Indy Steakhouse downtown for a very good cause tonight. We are raising money for the Survivors of Violence Foundation, and we've got Dr. Greg Chernoff from Chernoff Cosmetic Surgery here. We talked last year about this event. I was excited to be invited to help again this year. Just a wonderful cause. Remind people about how this got started and what it's led to. Well, you know, as, as we see in society today, violence knows no economic uh, boundaries. It knows no race. We're all exposed to violence, domestic violence or otherwise. And for 30 years, we've donated our surgery to battered wives or survivors of violence that don't have the ability to pay. Uh, and it's just a tremendous opportunity for us tonight to, to educate people on, 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 on what our foundation does. And we're so grateful to you and we're so grateful to support the racing community uh, and uh, so happy to have the ability to, uh, uh, to be here for this cause. And it really started from the Oklahoma City bombing with a, a, a client of yours. So we've been involved in cellular medicine and regenerative therapies, and one of our first patients was Roy Gazelle, our survivor of the Oklahoma bombing. And since then, we've just taken the baton and continued this. And so we, we do over $2.5 million of pro bono work a year, but it costs a lot of money uh, from a technology standpoint, from a from a, a hospitalization standpoint. And so for, especially for people that don't have the ability to pay, this is a, 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 such a valuable uh, uh, cause. And unfortunately, there are many victims of domestic violence, but fortunately, you have donated your services. And you know, the main thing is there is, yes, everyone wants to be as healthy and look as good as they can, but just so they don't have to look in the mirror and be reminded of what they went through. That's that's what, the magic gift that you can provide. What I found is that the, the sooner we can help them with their physical scars, the sooner their psychological wounds heal, which are often much deeper than their physical wounds. What's a website if someone couldn't make it tonight, but if maybe they want to find out more information and help year-round? They can go to uh, violencesurvivors.org or, or drchernoff.com. And you're on Twitter, too. You can find information. Yeah. What's your Twitter handle? Uh, at drchernoff.com. That's simple. Very good. Thank you, Dr. Chernoff, for having us. We've had a lot of fun tonight. We've had a lot of Indy 500 winners here tonight come through and some others uh, getting set for the Brickyard weekend. And I also want to mention what's coming up next week, more racing at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway in the BC 39. So there is a race team. A friend of mine owns it, Brent Cox, who helped organize this. Abacus Racing makes sense. He's an accountant. He's a numbers guy. Abacus Racing. And Maria Kofer is one of the drivers. Sheldon Creed, the NASCAR Xfinity driver, is also going to be driving for Brent's team next week. And Maria is here as well. So have you... And then also, because we're there uh, on behalf of Brian, you know, it's um, the, the story behind the event is really cool, so I'm thankful to be a part of it. So how's the season been going for you? We've been doing well. Um, it's been so far so good. The team, you know, we're new, so there's some growing pains, but we've came out really strong, um, and I'm excited to continue our season and see what we can do. I know you've won at least a heat race, if not more than one. I've seen you're running up front now. 
Yeah, we won a couple heat races. Now we just got to bring that over to the main events and uh, get some podiums and hopefully get some wins. But I think it's coming. We're knocking on the door. It's just everything needs to fall into place. Sheldon was here tonight as well. How much um, short track midget experience does he have? So it will be his first midget race. Okay, that's, How, that'd be not much. <laughs> no, so not much. However, he does run a micro out at Millbridge Speedway in North Carolina. Um, so he's not all unfamiliar with it. Um, I'm really looking forward to seeing how Sheldon performs. I think he's going to adapt no problem, and it should be really, really fun. What they used to call him, I think they called him the show because he can drive just about anything. So that'll be fun. Maria, thank you for coming out and supporting a cause as well. And good luck next week. Wednesday and Thursday, the BC39 in the infield down there near Turn 3 at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Thank you. Yes, thank you. And thanks to everyone that has supported this event. We had uh, a, a lot of help from different people joining us here this evening, and we've raised a lot of good money. We'll tally it up, and we'll tell you about it tomorrow night as well. Thanks to Kurt, Nate Ryan, and everyone that helped on the program tonight. I'm Kevin Lee. Trackside tomorrow night at 7 right here at 93.5, 107.5 The Fan.